welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Maggie. And I'm Julia. And I'm super, super excited because today we have a very special guest. Yes, we have Instagram slash Bookstagram sensation, classic Jane Austen with us. How are you doing today, CJ? I am doing so well. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you. Quite honestly, Maggie has been very, very excited and thrilled. Not that I'm not. She's just followed you since the very, very beginning. Yes. And I only knew about you through Maggie. Well, I am super glad to meet you both today. This is really exciting for me. We're going to talk about one of your favorite books. Yes, I am super stoked. Yay! So should I just kick us off then with a little summary? I think so. Yeah. All right. Lovely. Um, Fingers crossed I don't break into my really bad British accent during this episode. Please do. I was (laughs) going to say, I don't think that that would be a bad thing. (laughs) Here we go. It's difficult to find a husband in Regency England when you're a young lady with only half a soul. Ever since a fairy cursed her, Theodora Eddings has had no sense of fear, embarrassment, or even happiness, a condition which makes her sadly prone to accidental scandal. Dora's only goal for the London season this year is to stay quiet and avoid upsetting her cousin's chances at a husband. But when the Lord Sorcerer of England learns of her condition... She finds herself drawn ever more deeply into the tumultuous concerns of magicians and fairies. Lord Elias Wilder is a handsome, strange, and utterly uncouth, but gossip says that he regularly performs three impossible things before breakfast, and he is willing to help Dora restore her missing half. If Dora's reputation can survive both her ongoing curse and her sudden connection with the least liked man in all of high society— then she may yet reclaim her normal place in the world. But the longer Dora spends with Elias Wilder, the more she begins to suspect that one may indeed fall in love, even with only half a soul. That was great. That was great. Yeah. I I could have used the British accent, but that was still great. Yeah, next time. (laughs) Okay. Well, we still have a full episode, so it might come out at some point. I was actively planning to have a British accent for one of the questions. Were you? Yeah, well, there we go. We'll still do it. I just I read it in an accent and was like, uh, I think I'm just gonna say it like this. Um, but do you guys want a couple fun facts? Always awesome. Um, so I was looking up Olivia Atwater, and honestly, I got so much fun stuff from her, but her about paragraph on her website is the cutest. So I'm just gonna read that because it's full of little fun stuff. Um, Okay, so Olivia Atwater writes whimsical historical fantasy with a hint of satire. She lives in Montreal, Quebec, with her fantastic prose-inspiring husband and her two cats. When she told her second-grade history teacher that she wanted to work with history someday, she is fairly certain this isn't what either party had in mind. She has been, at various times, a historical reenactor, a professional witch at a metaphysical supply store, a web developer, and a vending machine repair person. Iconic. She's very well-rounded. Yeah, She is very well-rounded. And then I like delved onto her Twitter and it's just so cute. So if you want to just look at her Twitter, it is at Olivia Atwater 2. It is full of cute stuff. So 
definitely a fan of her and her bios and just general vibe. It's real cute. Yes, she's great. I um so I don't have a Twitter, so I don't follow her on Twitter, but I do follow her on Facebook. Yeah. Messaged her before after I read this book. That was the first thing I did. And she's so nice and she'll she'll reply back and she she's really sweet. Oh, I love that. It's, I bet it's because she's Canadian. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly helps, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, just the fact that she was also a vending machine repair person. I was like, well, now I just have to read this. I mean, it definitely seals the deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It goes along with like the vibe of all of the fun facts I've had throughout the season. So I definitely agree. Thanks. Well, uh, so are y'all ready for a warm up question? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's warm us up. Um, if you could travel to the past, would you go to the Regency era, which is approximately 1811 to 1820, or would you go somewhere else? This is a good question. I know if I went back to the Regency era, era, I would for sure end up being a scullery maid or something like that. <laughs> and it would, I would not get like the glamorous like, oh, no. Bridgerton storyline. No, no <laughs> and so, um, oh, yeah. And you know what? I don't look great. I don't have the body type for an empire waist dress either. So mm-hmm. I think I think I would always look like low key, like six months pregnant or something like that. Probably like start a scandal. Um, So probably not the Regency era. Um, Maybe the Victorian era. They have some. They have some silhouettes that might might be a little bit more. All right. All right. uh, Yeah. Lots of innovation going on during that time too. Yeah, and Victorian happened right after Regency. Right. Yes. And so you're still getting kind of those like old vibes. Mm And maybe at that point, maybe towards the later end of the Victorian area, maybe they would have let me go to college. That would have some, maybe sit in on a class or something. What? Yes. So Wild. I might have a little bit more opportunities back then. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Maggie, where, where are you going? Well, specifically, I really want to be a female spy in the 1940s. Oh, it's wow. It's always been a dream of mine. But okay. That would be, I think that would be my pick. I just, like I would love. War, like a World War II spy? Yeah. Or just a spy in general? No, like a World War II spy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just picture That's myself cool. like working as a seamstress and then I'm recruited by this mysterious man to join his team of female spies. So I like that. I can Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'd be down for that. I'd be down for that for you. I would make a terrible spy. <laughs> Um, I don't know the year. It would probably be in the hundreds whenever they let just people live in the woods and give them plants as medicine. Okay. I'd be like the bog witch of whatever year that's allowed. It sounds very dirty. (laughs) There's a lot of freedom in that too. Right. Yeah. Like... (laughs) It's kind of appealing to just go live in the woods, honestly. Yeah. I'd be like the witch in the mountain that you have to trek up to meet. And then I only have like the top premium weed or something for for people. You're like, oh, you have anxiety? Here. Oh, (laughs) you're having panic attacks? Here, try some of this. (laughs) (laughs) incredible 
That's the only drug I could actually think of. I'm sorry. Um, Turmeric, that's good for you, right? I have no idea. Cinnamon. I can't I even say turmeric, so I'm not sure <laughs> what it does. I honestly don't even know what I would put turmeric on. But I uh, like the Indian idea that- food? Oh, there you go. Mm, okay. I like the idea that you're making people work, though, to come see you. Like, right. I'm not, not going to make this easy for you. I am not coming to you. <laughs> if you want my goods, you have to come to me. It's going to be really hard. There's going to be probably a lot of rainstorms and bog and just mm-hmm. disaster along mm-hmm. the way. But if you get there, you're rewarded. So Yeah. I won't even make you pay for it. So generous. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. You're welcome. Happy to help. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, CJ, will you tell us how you came across Half a Soul? Sure. Yes. Um, it's a very glamorous story. And it starts out with me alone in my room on New Year's Eve and not going to the family gathering party. Um, and I was really tired. And I was like, I'm not going to stay up. I'm not going to watch the ball drop because that's very anticlimactic. And I'll just go to sleep and wake up in New Year. And I was going to read before bed and I was at, um, I was at a family member's house. So I didn't have my books with me, but I had my Kindle and this popped up in the recommended section and I read the back and the back of it describes it as pride and prejudice meets Howl's moving castle. And that was really all that I needed to click the buy button. (laughs) And so um, I bought it and I ended up staying up past midnight to finish the book because I was so into it. And so, yeah, it was the good old Amazon recommendation uh, section that brought it my way. Nice. Come through Amazon. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, Julia, I'm presuming yeah. we found out about it the same way. Yes, it is from you, CJ. Um, I think I was really excited for it with also the combination of Howl's Moving Castle and Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I haven't read Howl's Moving Castle, but I've seen it, and I liked it. And I was like, oh, that's a vibe I could get de- get behind. Um, so, yeah, that's... Yeah, they're two, I, very, I, yeah, two very specific things that, mm-hmm. if you enjoy those things, I think that this is, like you said, it's good vibe. Yeah, yeah. I read it in a day. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. I was like, all right, got to read this for the podcast. And then I opened it and then just sat on my couch for an entire day. And was just like, well, we're here now. It does that to you. And it's not like a huge book. So it's not like you're Mm -hmm. you're not committing to this, you know, huge tome or anything like that. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's the perfect way to spend, you know, a couple hours in the evening or in the afternoon, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a fun hang. It is a fun hang. And the characters are cool. They're the best. Yeah, they really are. Um, Okay, so let's just segue then into the the next question. Why is this a favorite book for you? You know, I I honestly think because I had no background information about it. I didn't read any reviews about it. Nobody, I hadn't seen a picture on Bookstagram or anything like that. I just didn't know it. So I, I went in with zero expectation. And I think that sometimes that's what makes certain books so appealing is when they kind of surprise you. And sometimes when somebody tells you to to read a book, you kind of go in like, okay, well, they really psych it up or even something like that. And then you're kind of let down. But this was just straight up like, it was just magical. It was delightful. It had, you know, romance and magic and some adventure. But then it also has these 
kind of moments of depth too that you don't always get in certain books. And so it was just really the full package for me. And so, yeah, it was exactly what I'm interested in. All of the things wrapped up in one book. Yeah, that's so great. Do you have a favorite line or section from the book you would like to share with us? I I do. Um, this was this was hard for me to find because I feel like I would just start from chapter one and read the whole thing and be mm-hmm. like, here's this book is my favorite section. Um, but I think what really resonated with me when I when I started reading was um, the the character. I love Dora. But um, Lord, the Lord Sorcerer, the Elias, Elias, however we're saying his name, um, he's very angry for part mm-hmm. of the book, you know, and his anger um, kind of fuels a lot of his decisions and a lot of the things that he decides to do. And at one point, Dora asks um, his friend, you know, why is he angry? Why is he so angry? And um, this is, I'll just read it. This is how his friend Albert um, responded. He said, um, Elias is angry about a great number of things, he said, and I'm sure that he would tell you all about them at length if you were to ask him. But he holds onto that anger in a way that is both highly productive and terribly miserable. He chose his next words carefully. I think that Elias has been angry now for so long that he's scared of letting it go. I think he is scared that it would make him too complacent and he might become all of those things which he so despises in others. And that just hit me so hard. And later on in the book, he does kind of erupt in anger in almost this unproductive way. Mm-hmm. And he gets so angry with his friend's family. His friend's family is a wealthy um, aristocratic family and they have lots of wealth and privilege. And he almost like just wants to convince them all that, you know, you're a bunch of hypocrites, you know, kind of, and he blows up and he does it in this really unproductive manner. And he kind of lets his emotions just carry him away, which, um, which was a interesting to see because up until that point, he hadn't let his emotions really get carried away. And then after that, Dora goes after him after he makes this big scene in anger and she's afraid that he's going to alienate his only friend. So she goes after him and she, it says she wrapped her arms tightly around the magician and felt him crumble away against her. And he just starts sobbing. And I love that too, because A, we don't see a lot of male characters actually show emotion, much less start like cry. Mm -hmm. And this whole like like culmination of this struggle that he's carrying. And I, I think that anybody whose anger is a very exhausting emotion, or at least it is personally for me. And I just felt that when he started just kind of slowly breaking down and realizing, you know, I can do my part, but I can't save the entire world. And, um, and he kind of, you know, comes to terms with that and he doesn't stop being productive, but he also, you know, Dora's there to kind of anchor him and kind of bring him back to the reality that like, you're human and you need to ask for help and you need to take a break and you need to breathe. And I love that whole scene. There's, and that's not really a romantic scene. There's several romantic scenes, but that is just one that really, really stood out to me. I love that. I I really I love this book so much especially because it I feel like it tackles so many things. It's like romance and fantasy, but it's also working really hard to make a statement about mm-hmm. injustices between the people in the book and I just think it's really interesting. That's a fabulous um fabulous choice. Yeah, and I think it does a really good job with Elias's character in like showcasing, you know, being angry about 
people that like congratulate themselves for doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And, right. And just like trying to get people to do more than just that and being angry about it because he had firsthand experience with like fighting for the freedoms that they have. And like people just don't get it. It's just, it's not actively trying to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not sure. Actively trying to not do anything they just they just don't know they're just right they're just um, unaware yeah yeah, they're just unaware um and showing kind of like the viciousness of being unaware or being too aware and like hanging on to it i think they did a very good job at that what about your favorite liner section yes i have a favorite section and it's kind of along the same vein yeah it's just a section of dialogue that i will just i will just share it with you guys okay Um, So this is Elias speaking. He says, there is no such thing as evil in this world. It does not help to look away from it. It does not even help necessarily to look at it. But sometimes when you cannot force the world to come to its senses, you must settle only for wiping away some of the small evils in front of you. Just thought it was really beautiful. Like, so eloquently written. You guys have really elegant ones. And once again, mine is not that elegant (laughs) but are you ready for mine let's bring some levity into this yeah yeah yeah. um so this is like 70 pages in 70 ish and elias is calling on dora to try scrying like intentionally scrying for the first time and obviously it's a regency so Uh, they have to be in a room with a chaperone and we've got the chaperone of the house. She does not want Elias there. And (laughs) as Dora is trying to scry, um, this is what the chaperone says to him. You are not casting some sort of wicked spell on the girl, Lord Sorcier, Lady Hayworth asked suspiciously. Her voice sounded suddenly far away as though she were speaking from a distance. If I were, Lady Hayworth, to tell you would make me an outright ninny, Elias trolled. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was so funny. (laughs) Um, It's a perfect perfect line to just, like, describe him. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, I'm not. And if I were, why would I tell you? I'm not that stupid. (laughs) Uh, So that tickled me. What I mostly admire is the one woman show that we just received from you, Julia. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I should do audiobooks. I was about to say, is that on your uh, future to-do list? Yeah, along with like all of the other stuff that I'm doing, I will add audiobooks to that list. There you go. You heard it here first. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to hold you accountable, Julia. Ah, uh, shoot. Please don't. <laughs> Some people did hold me accountable for the bookshelves that I was cataloging. Oh, um, yeah. Which is really funny. They would, they would like, text me weeks later. I, the la- I got one, like, two weeks ago asking me if I finished the shelves. Amazing. Did my mom ever text you? Because she texted me, and my mom was like, did Julia finish her shelves? <laughs> I don't no, your mom did not text me. <laughs> she was well, concerned. Somebody please let Maggie's mom know. <laughs> Julia finished the shelves. 
She's dying to know the answer. I did. I did finish them. I finished them when I was supposed to be doing a different thing that was more productive for that time. And I was like, no, that's too productive. I'm going to do something that I don't need to do but want to finish. That's the way it goes. It's exactly the way that it goes. Julia, let's yes. let's have you answer this question first. Oh, no. If you could bring something from the book into reality, what would it be and why? Um, I mean, the ability to scry through mirrors sounds pretty cool. And I feel like that's really like the biggest magical thing in the book. <laughs> like there, there are magicians, there are people with magic, but in terms of objects, that one I think would be really cool. Absolutely. And will you actually just explain what that is for our yeah. listeners who might not yeah. know? So scrying is when you are looking into a mirror and the the reflection changes into an image that you can see. Like, I don't know if you can physically see it, if it's in your mind's eye, it just, it changes the reflection. Mm -hmm. So then you can see what's happening. Brilliant. Thank you. What about you, CJ? What would you bring into reality? Mine would also be one of those uh, magical objects that they talk about. Elias has this lantern that can kind of, that you can kind of, it makes, if the lantern is near you, people don't notice you. So that's mm -hmm. how he ends up having a conversation with Dora um, without a chaperone is they kind of sneak out and they use this lantern to kind of disguise themselves. Or I think he says, I forgot what he says, but it makes other people uninterested mm -hmm. and they don't really notice them. They don't look their way. And so, um, so I think that that would be super helpful especially with the holidays coming up. If I could just like put a lantern up and then have people just like bypass me and they'd be like, oh, we know she's here somewhere, but, it's <laughs> but we'll find her later. So, And then I could just like have maybe a moment of peace or maybe read half a soul again. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I would, um, I would need one of those lanterns. And honestly, it would come in handy in so many different situations too. It would. 100%. Yes. I love that answer. That's awesome. I completely forgot about the lantern. That was very cool. Yeah, it was ingenious. And it was a way because you are, when it is a Regency, you know, novel, like you said, they are kind of held to these <laughs> standards of you have to have a chaperone, you can't be alone together. And mm -hmm. that was kind of how they, they got around that. And they ended up really having in that scene, just a really nice conversation together too. So it was just all around a really nice scene when he pulled they out did. the what yeah. about you, Maggie? What would you bring? I would say in terms of like specific object, lantern. But when I read this question, I hope this doesn't make me sound cheesy, but I liked, <laughs> I I love the idea in general of there being like a fantasy magical element in the Regency era. I just want that aesthetic to exist. Like I wish that was real in general. Like when I think of just Pride and Prejudice or Bridgerton, and there's also magic in them, it just makes me feel really, really happy. And I, if I could go back into the Regency era and know that there was magic, I would do it in a heartbeat. I like that's that. That's my cheesy answer. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. I love that. It just meshes the two things that you love together. Yes. It makes, it makes it even better. Thank you for understanding. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. All right. So the question we all need answered, who do you have a crush on in this book? 
Oh man, it is so hard not to love Dora. Like it is so hard not to just enjoy being inside her mind. Um, and I think what what I really like about her character is she's not you, when you read these fantasy novels or these Regency novels or just novels in general. If they have a line of romance, you know the the girl's usually very she's usually very pretty or she has this like insane talent or if she's fantasy she's like a warrior and she's got these insane <laughs> magical powers and what i like about dora is i feel like her superpower is just the way she views the world and the way she reacts to it and she's a compassionate and unassuming character and that's really what we like about her. You know, she does, she has, she can scry, yes, but she's not some magician and she's not this, you know, this debutante that says all the right things and does all the right things. But she's still, she's still, um, she's not purposefully, you know, trying to like flirt or be charming, but she still comes across as very, you know, approachable when you read her just, just because of the way she, you know, she views things. And I just, I love that we get to spend time with Dora in the novel. So yeah, I really, I really dig her. What about I, you? I love that Dora has two different eye colors. Mm, yes. I, think, I think that's a really cool trait. I have a type and that type is dark and brooding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Elias all of the way. Elias is your favorite. I like that. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's a little too I like, you know, I like the idea of someone like that, but then in real life, I would probably say you're too surly for me. I, <laughs> I, you're a little abrasive, but I love, I love reading. I love reading about those characters. So I get it. Yeah. I just, I love reading them and reading when they have the soft moments mm -hmm. because I think that is just so sweet. It's, it's so sweet seeing them like hard exterior, soft interior. Yes. And so I just, yep. Dark and brooding. Yes. It makes those tender moments really, it makes them really stick out. Like you said. Yes. Shout out to Shelby, who we talked to in the court of thorns and roses episode, who, when I was talking to her later about a different book, we both, she pointed out that dark and brooding is my type. I was like, I mean, I know, but I didn't have to like put it to words until now. So mm. now, now you there. know. Now I know. And now the world knows. Yeah. It is yeah. so your type, Julia. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Every single book or TV show, I I know who you're going to have a crush I on. I find the broodiest character and I'm like them. That's who it is. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie, what about you? Um, I'm going to have to say Dora, but I don't know if I want to be Dora or if I'm in love with her. Mm -hmm. I can't decide if she's like someone I look up to mm. just because I love her mind and I love how smart she is and how kind she is to people um, and how she like really approaches the world with a lot of empathy. But also maybe I'm in love with her. I just think she's a wonderful character. Um, yeah. I just mm -hmm. want to talk to her. Like I would love for her to be real and just to have a conversation with her. But I honestly don't, I don't know if I would have a crush on anybody else. Yeah. I, I really like her friendship with Albert. I yeah. think those two are the cutest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think as far as like romantic, like who would, who would I fall for like romantically? I think Albert would be the one who like steals my heart. Honestly, he's just, he has this purpose to him, but he's also, you know, very approachable and Mm -hmm. easy to have a conversation with. And, uh, you know, you can tell that he takes like Dora kind of under his wing and mm-hmm. he just he just really brings her in. and he gives her that element of like friendship because up until then, really her friend, her only friend was her cousin mm-hmm. and she just didn't have a lot of friends. And I love that Albert, you know, uh, you know, Elias kind of brushes her off the first time they meet very much a Mr. Darcy thing, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You're, you're annoying me. I don't know like why I'm, why would I bother talking to you? But Albert from the get go, uh, he's a little bit, um, he's a little bit more, I guess, of like the Bingley character. He's got a lot of joy in him mm-hmm. and, but he still has a very purposeful life too. And, you know, he's a doctor and he's, he's trying to help people and he has a lot of compassion. So um, I totally agree with that. Their friendship is one of the best parts of the book. It's kind of like when one of those side characters like steals the show. You're like, oh, I really like you. Yeah. And that's how I feel about Albert. Albert's great. Albert is great. And it's it was another thing like for the society to try and like put Albert in a box. Like he was very um, looked down on because he lost a hand in the war. And mm-hmm. so for him to have like still a magical hand that's working just like a normal one, but it's silver. Um, it, it also added another level of binding like Dora and Albert together as friends mm-hmm. because Dora lost half her soul and has two different colored eyes and is just generally kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but lovely. She's lovely. Just doesn't understand. We mean that in the best way. Possible. Yeah. She just doesn't understand social cues. Um, which like, don't we all? And then there's Albert who does understand social cues, but people don't, he's kind of like a pariah because he has a disability. And so they kind of have this whole, they're very smart and funny together. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, total 180, um, CJ or Julia, whoever wants to take this first, is there an antagonist in the book? And if so, is this character actually bad? I believe Lord Hollowvale, the fairy that took half of Dora's soul, is the antagonist, right? I would yeah, say I so, would, right? I would say so. <laughs> like, there may actually be a couple of antagonists in this Yeah. Book, but yeah, right off the bat, I mean, he's stealing people's souls. And I feel like that puts him in the villain column. There's really, <laughs> there's really no coming back from that. You can't be a good guy and also steal someone's soul. <laughs> right. Yes. Definitely not. Um, but I mean, her, we have like the, um, the workhouse master who is oh, yeah. terrible, awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's kind of like the human villain, I guess. Um, and he doesn't, we don't get a whole lot of him, but we see the way that he's treating, um, the people who work for him in the way that he's treating the orphans and when people are getting Mm -hmm. sick and, um, or needing help, he just kind of brushes them off and puts them in a corner. Um, so, and then, you know, we don't have a lot of great literary ants. Like there's just no good ants. I feel like they're, they're very minimal. And Dora's aunt is sometimes atrocious to her, the way that she treats her and just dismisses her and, she gets angry with her because she's not 
biddable in a sense. Mm-hmm. And um, so her aunt just kind of treats her like, like she's nothing, like she doesn't matter. And she tries yeah. to kind of hide her away. And then, you know, um, her cousin, you know, does try to pull her out more and really champions her. But her aunt says some really ugly things to her at times. And um, so, yeah, there's a couple of antagonists, I feel like. But there's enough good guys to balance out the yeah, yeah. antagonism. I definitely got, like, a Dursley's from Harry Potter mm. vibe from the aunt. Yes. I was like, oh, they would be friends and that would be unfortunate. Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. She she was basically just keeping Dora, you know, in her house, not out of a sense of like love or anything like, oh, you're, you know, your family, your blood, you can stay. Mm-hmm. I'll treat you as my own. It was just out of this sense of like obligation, almost mm-hmm. like, okay, you can stay with me, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. And mm-hmm. you're different. And I don't know how to talk to you. And I don't know how to make you see reason. So I'm just gonna say, say some really mean things to you. Right, because you can't feel emotions anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yes. Um, I just think that in general, there's a lot of not nice people in this book. And I think that a lot of the quote-unquote bad guys don't have any redeemable qualities um, at all. Which I think is very interesting because I think most of the time, especially in like the first book of a fantasy genre there would be like one main antagonist and then everyone else sort of ebbs and flows the line a little bit. And in this one, I felt like there were, like we said, a few smaller antagonists that were just unredeemable. Mm -hmm. And they all added up. Yeah. It was like different levels of antagonism. Like we have the ant and then we get a little bit further out and it's the workhouse master. And then we get further out and it's Lord Hollowvale. And then we get even further out and it's just society in general. Um, society. <laughs> yeah. Society. You also go in the villain column. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm going to be a bog witch, guys. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> um, so we kind of touched on this, but... If you could be a character in Half a Soul, who would you be and why? I think I would go back to Albert. <laughs> I don't know. I, Dora, I, I love Dora and I love her character, but I don't know. There's just something about Albert. I feel like our our personalities might match up a little bit more. Um, and he um, he's he's just a really kind human being. And I love that he ends up with um, Dora's chaperone. This yeah. Is, uh, so, oh, maybe I should say spoiler before yes. I <laughs> before I talk about we're this far into the episode. <laughs> people expect spoilers. Okay. okay. So I love that was kind of a um, because he didn't really have a romantic line, you know, like a, a romantic storyline. But Doris Chaperone, who was this, you know, spinsterly-ish, you know, thirty-year-old woman or something like that, it, she had to come with her when Dora would go out on these excursions with Albert. Um, when they were helping people. And I love that he saw something in her and she saw something in him that they were both working towards a common goal. And he ended up getting his happily ever after. And um, yeah, I just, yeah, I think that Albert has a lot of purpose to him. And so I really, um, I really like that about his character. All right. So you would be Albert. Maggie, who would you be? I want to be Albert too. (laughs) I'm sorry, Maggie. (laughs) 
Can we split it's a soul? Fine. You can be half and I can be half. Okay, done. I will be half Albert, half mm, the cousin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> She's very nice too. Yes, she is. She is. And she tries. Like that's the biggest thing is is she tries. I feel yeah. like that's most of her personality is like out there doing her best. Mm-hmm. She's well-meaning, but definitely not quite grasping. Yeah. she. I mean, she's just very naive to yeah. like the bigger picture of things, which is no fault of her own. I mean, again, that's like that's kind of why Elias had the, the blow up mm-hmm. is because people are naive to stuff outside of their world. And her cousin, wasn't it her cousin? Her cousin is the one that stabs the fairy that's trying to steal. Um, isn't that her at the beginning of the yeah, book? Yeah, right yeah. at the beginning of the book. Yeah, so Dora's soul gets taken, half of her soul gets taken away when she's what, like a, a young girl? Yeah, um, I want to say fairy. probably like under 10. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. And this fairy comes for her and he gets half of it. But before he can get the rest, her cousin comes to her rescue and stabs him with a pair of scissors right a pair of sewing scissors which are so tiny yes um but they're made of silver and because he's a fairy in this world that's Mm -hmm. he's i guess has an allergic reaction to that and he he doesn't he can't handle the silver in the scissors so you yeah her cousin does come through and she has this moment of like boldness like hey Mm -hmm. no you're not gonna do that that's my cousin i love her we're friends so she does she does kind of save dora right at the very beginning if it wasn't for her cousin we wouldn't have a story like dora would just be gone this Um, is true you're welcome you guys (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i hate doing this but i think i would probably want to be dora because I don't always understand social cues. And when I do, I also like to kind of undermine social cues. Good job, Julia. Thanks. So you're like this mix of Dora and Elias. Yeah. <laughs> I would be their child. Oh, no. <laughs> I think Elias's whole purpose in society is just to undermine everything. <laughs> yeah. No, he's just like, I'm going to do what I want. I and I know this isn't what you want. So I'm going to do that, too. You could be their child. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like that is 100% your vibe. Yeah. I mean. Not in a bad way. No. I mean, for me, sometimes it's just really annoying when I don't understand when when sarcasm is happening or like when a joke is happening that is definitely one of the most annoying things like I'll be joking with someone and then they say something and I I can't tell if it's a joke or not and so I'm just like was that are you being sarcastic right now and they're like oh my god yeah yeah don't worry about it I was like thanks okay great because it's weird it's weird it's okay thanks we accept all right if or is this book a movie slash show and if not, should it be? Well, I think I yes. Think yes as well. I um, would I would concur. I would promote it wholeheartedly. Should it be a movie or a show? I could see yeah. it as a really good movie. Yeah, like, my first instinct, and usually I'm of the mind that books make better like miniseries or TV mm-hmm. shows, but I actually think this would make a really good movie. I think it yeah. could just be cut really nicely. Yeah. 
I could see like it being on like a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu or something like that mm-hmm. where they could really have some fun with it. I agree. I think it'd make a great movie. Netflix does some really good fantasy stuff too. So maybe yeah, we should pitch to them. Yeah. This is, you heard it here first. This is where yeah. the petition starts. Um, <laughs> Olivia, Netflix. We will take care of this for you. Yeah. I will write the script. You don't have to do any work. Love that. Do it for grad school and then submit it Done. later. <laughs> Perfect. We just set up a project for you, Maggie. Hey, you know what I need in grad school is more work. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'll just, maybe that'll be my final project. I'll adapt <gasps> this book. into That would be so cool. <laughs> we'll you bring this forward to your thesis committee. Yeah. I um <laughs> I actually uh, wrote a screenplay. That's what this thesis is. Um, It's this fantasy historical novel. Regency Regency is really in right now, so it'll sell. It will. Thank you, Bridgerton. Anything Regency will sell right now. Yeah. Bridgerton gets really sexy, though. I was kind of surprised that this book was such a slow burn. Half a Soul is incredibly slow in the romantic department in my mind, but not at the same time, but like nothing physical happens. No, it's very PG. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a step up from pride and prejudice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a spicy fairy pride and prejudice. (laughs) No. And that is totally, that is totally my jam. I am, I know not everybody loves a slow burn, but I am all about that that tension and that <laughs> angst and that longing, all of that. Sometimes if I'm reading a book and the characters get physical, like halfway through the book, I'm like, well, what are we going to do for the rest of the book? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? We jumped the gun. <laughs> so I think that uh, that's one reason I'm drawn to these books. My ideal book is a complete and total slow burn. And in the last chapter, they get together and then in the epilogue, they wrap everything up nicely. But if all of the books that I read could just hold off until the very end and keep me like lingering and wanting that, you know, that uh, that final like that pinnacle moment between mm-hmm. the characters, then yeah, that would be that would be excellent. These are my demands. Put it in the um, put it in the screenplay. Yeah. I will. I it has promise. to be a slow burn. Yeah, we to need be. to see a hand flexing when they they touch hands for the first Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Nice hand graze, the lots of yep. looks of longing. Oh, absolutely. Looks of longing and then looking mm-hmm. away when they, they see. Really, it would just maybe be Elias doing the longing looks. I don't think Dora would have any <laughs> any notion of how to look longingly at anybody. He, he would just be like faded in the background so we can see him looking while Dora is just like thinking about something. And then she looks over and he's like back into his book. Yes, or she catches him and she's like, why are you staring at me? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, All right, so we are going to change gears a little bit Mm -hmm. and start talking about Jane Austen. Tell us, classic Jane Austen, about starting classic Jane Austen. (laughs) (laughs) I I started the account... um, in April of 2020, I think it was April 2020, which most of us know what was going on in the world in April mm-hmm. of 2020. We were all in isolation. And so we had been at home. I was learning how to do my job 
um, from a computer and I'd always done it face to face. So I was learning how to do, um, this telework. And then, um, I, my, my child was also at home too. And he was really little, he was like three. So it was, I mean, there were so many things going on and I (laughs) turned to a lot of books and movies to kind of like take my mind off of Mm -hmm. the reality. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure a lot of people did. Um, cause it was a, it's a stressful time, still a stressful time. And, um, I reread Pride and Prejudice. I started, um, watching the movies all over again, which I've always loved. And so I made these, <laughs> I started making memes and sending them to my friends, um, because it was just this like creative little way to be silly and goofy when it felt like everything else was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll just put them online. And then I started doing that. And that's kind of how it got born was just me being bored and lonely and needing something funny to do during the pandemic. Yeah. That's awesome. That grew so quickly. Like your following is huge. Well, it and it's not like huge. I, I mean, it's not huge in comparison to some accounts, but it did feel like it grew somewhat quickly um, which for me, that made me really nervous. I was like, why are all these people following me? Please stop. And, so, um, which sounds, my, my husband was like, do you know how the internet works? <laughs> you know how, like, that's what you want. And so it was, um, so it did happen quickly. And I honestly, I don't really know how it happened. I think just, I think other people at the time just connected to the fact that as you're scrolling through your, your newsfeed, sometimes it's just a lot of heavy stuff. And there's certainly a place online for heavy and serious content and to engage and talk about that. But I don't think we want that thrown at our face, you know, with every single scroll. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that was probably one reason why people hit the follow button was just because it was silly and goofy and I'm poking fun at fictional characters. So I'm not, um, I'm not hurting anybody's feelings because they're not real. So it's, um, it's just kind of, I don't know. I feel like it probably just maybe brought a little bit of humor or something like that to what they were, you know, what they were looking at online. Yeah. And I mean, all of it's really quality. I really like the ones that you combine with like the office or Brooklyn nine, nine quotes. Those are the most funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I that's one thing I, that I do. I'll mash up like a Pride and Prejudice character with a um do an incorrect quote with like a pop, mm-hmm. like, you know something from pop culture or something like that. Um and I always have to say where it's from because I'll have people who you know maybe aren't familiar with these US TV shows mm-hmm. they'll message me and they'll be like where what is this? <laughs> like did Elizabeth Bennett did not say this. Someone was like, I know English is not my first language, but I don't think that she said this in the novel. And I was like, you're right. It's not. It was Michael Scott. <laughs> Definitely not. In oh, my gosh. So I had to start. Um, so now I make sure that um, everybody everybody knows where it's from and that I'm not incorrectly quoting Jane Austen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Incredible. That's so funny. Wait, quick question. Have you seen the show Schitt's Creek? Um, yes, yes, I have, yes. Have you mashed up Schitt's Creek with Pride and Prejudice at all? Um, I, I have one. I do have um, a meme. I know I've done it once or twice. Um, there's one um, 
Oh my goodness. I can't remember what it is, but I, I know I've done a couple of uh, David, uh, David ones where, oh, it was the one where um, Darcy proposes to mm-hmm. Elizabeth the first time and it just goes totally off, <laughs> off rail. And, yeah. he, and then I had Elizabeth say something like, I have never heard someone say <laughs> so many consecutive things <laughs> one after, or so many wrong things yeah. after another. <laughs> And I just butchered his line, but, um, but I, I did do that one and I've done a couple others, uh, but that's the one that comes to my mind. That's amazing. I'm going to go back and find that now. Okay. Yes. I'll send it. To, I'll make it easy. I'll send it to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Cause it's so funny. I love Shit's Creek so much. Oh. oh yeah. That's quality humor right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. What is, I feel like you kind of answered this, but just in case, what is your favorite thing about running your bookstagram? your meme, meme account? Um, it's, it's definitely that it's definitely the people Mm -hmm. I I love interacting with people. And, um, I mean, you have your trolls, obviously that I'm just like, why did, don't come say this to me and my DMS, like have some class, (laughs) but, um, honestly, the majority of the people are great. And it's a good reminder that, um, Jane Austen transcends so much. You know, I'll I'll chat with people on the other side of the world and I'm like I'm sure we're very different and we probably come from very different backgrounds, but I love that it's a reminder that we can be very different from people and still have things in common and still be able to talk about books and characters that we love and what they mean to us and um so I I really do love doing that and then um, I'll recommend books every now and then over there and readers will, they'll pop in and they'll be like, if you like this, you should read this. And so then I'll go find a new book that I love that just happened like last week. And now I need to go find that person in my DMs and be like, Hey, this was a stellar recommendation. Thank you for that. So, um, I really do enjoy just getting to, to talk with people about, you know, a, a topic that we both love. Yeah. That's so nice. That's so great. Oh, go ahead. I was probably about to say that's probably why y'all love doing this podcast because you get to yes. talk about, you know, you have this like common interest in these in these books that you love to read. So that probably, you know, it's what brings you together and it's what brings your guests together. So it's kind of that mm-hmm. same vibe, only the Instagram version of it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, I love when people slide into our DMs and it's just like, hey, you should read this book. I have a bunch of them on my shelf. I haven't read them yet, but I do like in the back of my mind have them. I'm just like, oh, I know this person suggested this. And so when I do end up reading it, I'll find their message at some point. Be like, hey, this is really good. Yes, exactly. And books will keep. That's the good thing I've learned about books. Sometimes it gets a little when you're on, you know, a place like Bookstagram or Goodreads. Sometimes it's there's sometimes all these people reading every single day and posting about these books every single day. And I've had to tell myself that it's not a competition and books keep, and it's okay if I'm busy right now and I can't get to these books. That's the beauty of a bookshelf. They'll sit there Mm -hmm. and they won't like deteriorate. And that story will, will still be there. So talk to us about your love of Pride and Prejudice. Um, There's just so much to say. (laughs) How long do we have? Um, I so I didn't actually read the book first. I watched the um, movie with Keira Knightley first. I saw that in theaters. Um, I had a friend who had read the book, and she was like, "I think you would like this story. Come with me and see it." And at the when the you know the credits were rolling, I was just like, "That was amazing!" 
And so my grandmother was a very avid reader and her house was just full of bookshelves, full of books. And so, um, when I went to her house the next month, it was over like a Christmas holiday break. And I asked her if she had this book on her shelf and, and she did. And so she let me, um, borrow her copy of it. And so I got to read my grandmother's copy of Pride and Prejudice from like the 1940s. And it was just, um, it, you know, again, I just remember talking to her about the book after I read it, you know, this, I was a young, young teen when I read it and she was 70 years old. And again, common ground, we're mm-hmm. two completely different ages, but we can, you know, sit at the breakfast bar and talk about Jane Austen and, the characters in this story, I think they're just what make it so, so wonderful. And I love this message of, you know, there is this pride and there is this prejudice between the two of them, but they overcome it in a way. And by the end of the book, you know, they don't change who they are, like at the core being of themselves, but they, but they're, but they are still evolved enough that they can see another perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, I can just love that message of we can be different. We can come from different backgrounds, but we can still meet in the middle and we can still like, you know, and in their case, they fall in love with each other. Um, But I just love that they um, are able to, you know, see the other person's way of thinking. And then also kind of like humblingly, they realize they were wrong, you know, and that's a, that's also I feel like a conversation in and of itself is both of them realizing, Hey, I was really quick to make a judgment about you and you were, and both of them were. And, um, I love that there's this humbling experience for both of them when they come to realize, you know, I, I was wrong. And so there's just so much about it. And then the writing itself is just so witty and on point. And I love that Jane Austen is a narrator who kind of makes fun of her characters, like as, you know, as she goes along, but yeah. What, what is your favorite um, part of Pride and Prejudice? What do you guys like about it? Julia, I'm interested to know what you have to say because you're reading it right now. I tried my best to finish my reread of Pride and Prejudice before we chatted. I only got like just over halfway through um, combined reading an audiobook. Um I, it's really hard. It was really hard for me to get back into. I read it like 12 years ago. Um, I had also watched the 2005 Kira Knightley uh, Pride and Prejudice before reading the book. Like I tried reading it and then I was like, I don't get it. And so I watched the movie and was like, oh my God, this movie is amazing. And then I read the book and got it. But it's been so many years since I've read it. It was so hard for me to get back into. But I also love how much how much Jane makes fun of Mr. Collins. Mr. <laughs> Collins is so irritating. <laughs> He's just so like my my least favorite part, my part that annoyed me the most. I mean, again, I'm only like halfway through. Um is when he proposes to Elizabeth, spoilers, I mean, it's an old book, so it's not really a spoiler, but he proposes to Elizabeth and she's like, no. And he's like, no, I know girls are supposed to say no and that you actually want to. She's like, no, that's not 
how I do it. And she says no like five times. And he's just continuing to be like, no, no, no. I know you're supposed – and he just doesn't listen. It's like no actually does mean no. In the, and even in regency times no even in no. regency times and i was just like reading that and rolling my eyes and then he has like a giant paragraph of how much he respects her but also he doesn't take that answer and i'm just like that's a real- <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just over here like oh my god um yes. <laughs> but then uh, I mean, I didn't. I forgot how much, uh, how omnipotent the narration is, mm-hmm. and that we do actually get like Darcy's feelings for Elizabeth right in the beginning. Like we get how he's feeling about her. It just comes out like complete garbage when he tries talking to her because he's an anxious mess. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed that aspect of it that it was actually quite omnipotent and snarky very snarky Mm -hmm. what about you maggie you know i first read pride and prejudice when i was very young but it was like do you remember those abridged versions of classics that they made for children and they Mm -hmm. had like the white binding on the outside and i i I don't know like a few of them um i don't remember what company made them but i had this one and I had like Huckleberry Finn and Little Women and a few of them. And they were basically simplified versions of the stories. And I loved it immediately. And I feel like it is a book that really does transcend age and time. Cause I feel like people who are really young, I mean, when I was eight, I got something from the story. And I feel like people who are much older will also get something from the story. And it's why it's one of my favorite books is if every time you do a reread or a rewatch, you sort of glean something new that makes it still like really important to you. That's what makes it a really good story. In my opinion, is if like every single time I go back to it, I learn something new or I appreciate something new or something else sticks out to me as like being really interesting or lovely. In general, I love the way Jane Austen writes. She really was um, ahead of her time. In terms of feminism, or at least feminism that was being published, I'm sure other people had the same thoughts, but I just think it's an incredible work of art. Pride and Prejudice, especially. I I love Jane Austen in general, but this book specifically really, I think, just will last for forever. I think every generation will find something to appreciate about it. For sure. That's great. Yeah, that was beautiful. I loved that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so, Julia, if your type is the the dark and brooding type, are you drawn to Mr. Darcy or who who are you drawn yes. to? I'm yes. Yes. So, it's oddly twofold. I'm drawn to Mr. Darcy and I also feel like I would be Mr. Darcy. Okay. Because he's so socially anxious and there's a line in there. I highlighted it. Um Miss Bingley. Oh my gosh. Miss Bingley is the worst. She's so irritating. (laughs) Like her and Mr. Collins are on the same level of just annoying. So Miss Bingley's like, I'm astonished, said Miss Bingley, that my father should have left so small a collection of books. What a delightful library you have at Pemberley, Mr. Darcy. And his response, 
similar to Elias is just like, it ought to be good. He replied, it has been the work of many generations. And then she responds with, and then you have added so much to it yourself. You are always buying books. And I'm just like, well, there we go. That's who I would be. I would be Mr. Darcy because I'm always buying books. Um, There we go. And he just doesn't like he understands that Miss Bingley is trying to court him in her own flirtatious way. And he just has no interest in that whatsoever. Um, which I find really funny when she's just trying to lay it on thick and he's just not here for it. That's great. And Darcy, he has to be a book lover. There's a scene, um, and it I don't have it highlighted, but I'm I'm remembering it. He I think when they're at the Netherfield ball and he asks her to dance, he is trying to engage Elizabeth in conversation. Mm-hmm. And the question he asks her is, Have you read any good books? What books are you reading? And her response is, I am sure that we do not read or enjoy the same type of books, Mr. Darcy. And he was like, <laughs> was like well, then we'll never run out of things to talk about. We'll always have. You know, I know. He about. tries so hard <laughs> at the ball. And that is how I would do my mating ritual. I'm sure I'd be like, do you like to read books? You know? yep. like, that's how that's, that's how I start my conversations. I'm just like, so the weather's the weather. Books? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, I would much rather know what you're reading than, you know, <laughs> how you feel about the the weather for sure. Right. So I could, uh, I could see how Darcy, I feel like he's, I feel like he's a book lover too. So. Oh, absolutely. He draws, he draws in all of us bookish, uh, bookish people to him. Mm-hmm. And the dark and broody people. Yes. And luckily he really checks both. a lot so of it's, boxes. It's really perfect for you because you're <laughs> I know, Julia, just get married already. Jeez. <laughs> uh, what characters would you guys be? Okay, well, in Pride and Prejudice, I want to be Elizabeth. But in reality, I am Eleanor from Sense and Sensibility. And I just have to accept that, <laughs> you know? So I don't, I, I haven't read any other Jane Austen book oh. outside of Pride and Prejudice. I Eleanor, I I feel like I resonate a lot with Eleanor, too. Um, just because finally at the end, she does kind of come out and let her true feelings sh- um, show. And I think throughout the novel, Eleanor and Sense and Sensibility, she hoards her own emotions, how she truly feels to protect other people. It's yes. to protect to protect her mother and her sister and even um, the man that she's in love with. She doesn't want to make life difficult, more difficult than it is. So she keeps a lot of her emotions kind of locked away internally and then... So she's a really interesting character. I love Eleanor as well. So she's, I feel like, I feel like we need to talk more about Eleanor. She's just a wonderful literary character. I, I agree. People, yeah. Uh, I wish more people got behind Eleanor. Probably for me though, in Pride and Prejudice, I would, I would, I'm at the point where I would love to be Elizabeth Bennett too. Um, I don't think I would actually be as forthright and spirited as she is but I think I would make a really good aunt gardener that is her aunt who um kind of arrange um they she's the one that they visit Pemberley with and she kind of notices there's a spark between Darcy and and Elizabeth and she's just great I love that so when um when Lydia has her kerfuffle and she goes off and runs away with Wickham and Darcy goes after them. Nobody knows how they get like 
how they get Lydia back or how they got Wickham to marry Lydia. Um, so Lizzie asks her aunt, she writes to her and she says, you have got to tell me the story. Like, I know my uncle went after Wickham, but what happened? And her aunt is the one that tells her it was Darcy in the, in the book. She says, Mr. Darcy was the one that went after them and, you know, arranged for them to get married and gave Lydia a dowry essentially. And at the end of her letter, as she's writing to Lizzie, she says, will you be very angry with me, my dear Lizzie, if I take this opportunity of saying what I was never bold enough to say before, how much I like him. And she's talking about Mr. Darcy. Uh, she says, his behavior to us has in every respect been pleasing. He is, his understanding and opinions all please me. He wants nothing. He wants nothing but a little more liveliness. And that if he marries prudently, his wife may teach him. I thought him very sly. He hardly, hardly ever mentioned your name, but sly, slyness seems the fashion. Pray forgive me if I have been presuming or at least do not punish me so far as to exclude me from P. And P is in Pemberley. So she's basically like alluding to Elizabeth, you are going to like, you should marry this man. Uh And and when you become mistress of Pemberley, please, please don't forget about me. And she goes on to say, um, she goes on to say, I shall never be quite happy till I have been all around the park, meaning Pemberley. Um, A low phaeton with a nice pair of ponies would be the very thing. Um, and so she kind of gives this, she's kind of like a matchmaker in a little bit of a way. And I have several nieces and I'm hoping that, you know, when they grow up, when they grow up, I'm like down to help them. Like I'll take them to their bows, um, giant palace and try to get them together. I don't know. I love that. Yes. Please do. You got to start holding balls somewhere. Yes. Oh, yes. That will be hard for me, <laughs> but I will have to throw a ball together. <laughs> then you can start matching everyone up. Well, now we're now we're veering into Emma Woodhouse territory. <laughs> True. Yikes. Steer clear. Uh, well, you guys, I feel like it must be unanimous, but I'd be curious to see if it's not. But in my mind, the best adaptation ever made of Pride and Prejudice ever is the 2005 movie. I like that. Yes. That's the first one that I watched ever and the only one that I watched ever. So it's the only one you've seen, but you can still vote for it. Yep. (laughs) My vote still counts. There's one name on the ballot and I'll check it off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Y'all are going to get me into trouble. If (laughs) I have followers who are very um, passionate about this question. And I'm which, sure that's why it's on which here. Is, which is the correct, which is the correct version to be watching, um, or which is the which is the correct one to be your favorite? Because um, they're both worth watching. Uh, and so usually I evade this question, and I always, <laughs> I always answer. Are y'all familiar with Wishbone by any chance? Yes. <laughs> like the little terrier who <laughs> taught people about in the 1990s about yes. What's the um, story, Wishbone? It, yes. Yes, exactly. And um, I loved the Wishbone episode of Pride and Prejudice where he is Mr. Darcy. <laughs> Wishbone is Mr. Darcy. <laughs> So when people ask me what's my favorite adaptation, I'm always just like, it's really hard to um, 
to not acknowledge that somebody in some production company was like, you know what, let's dress a dog up and have <laughs> kids about literature. And so I love his Mr. Darcy character. Um, oh, but honestly, I feel like the... Um, I feel like you cover so much more of the story in the uh, 1995 BBC miniseries with Colin Firth. So you get more of the story from the miniseries. But the 2005 version, it's just, it's like all the highlights and they're so good. Like there's not a single, there's not a single scene wasted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. And the actors are just perfect for it. And so this is so hard. I will just still say wishbone. <laughs> say wishbone. I admire that answer. Okay. <laughs> they need to do a Muppets version of Pride and Prejudice. There you go. Although, Agreed. Is, is Miss Piggy going to be Elizabeth? Nah, she'd be Mrs. Bennett. There you go. Okay. 100%. No, it would be like <laughs> the people are the Bennett sisters. You know, okay. like when they have humans sometimes yes. in their in their movies. Yes. So we can okay. cast real humans as the Bennett sisters and Kermit the Frog as Mr. Darcy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Perfect. Okay. They could do it too. You heard it here first. Yeah. The Muppets. We're Lots of hot of, takes this we're, episode. We're full of um, I, movie ideas. So Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, so any final thoughts and or book recommendations for people that have read Half a Soul and Pride and Prejudice or Pride and Prejudice? I love the – I actually just read a book. It's by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, and she wrote um, Mexican Gothic. Oh, yes. Popular. Mm-hmm. And she um, – uh, she wrote Mexican Gothic, and she has this book called The Beautiful Ones, which is a Regency – it's another magical Regency romance. Um, and so if you like Half a Soul, The Beautiful Ones might be um, right up your alley. You have kind of a, a quirky, different heroine, and then a um, a hero who's um, a little bit darker. It takes you a little bit longer to kind of get into the hero Um but it also it has those same kind of vibes as Half a Soul um, and just really beautiful prose. Like she just knocked the prose out of the park. And um, yeah. And if people like Pride and Prejudice, I always recommend uh, North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell. Those are. Oh, yeah. Um, that has very much those enemies to lovers types type of kind of vibes. And it also does in, is similar to Half a Soul. It also does address some. uh social justice issues as well so mm-hmm. nice maggie what about you i have a few books to recommend i would say in lieu of jane austen if you read pride and prejudice i recommend sense and sensibility next um i personally don't like emma it's too long in my opinion they really just don't get to the point but i love sense and sensibility highly recommend that one just in terms of romance i really recommend Beatread, and we did an episode on it last summer And it is truly like a Pride and Prejudice vibes, enemies to friends, to lovers. It's so good. I just really recommend it. And yeah, I don't have any other like fantastical Regency era books. I've got a couple of fantastical ones for you. Let's hear it. I didn't go really the Regency route, but the books that I picked do have like 
a past era feel. They are kind of either old-timey or set in an era that could be near the Regency. And with magic, so the first one is Stardust by Neil Gaiman. Oh, good choice. That's a good That one, um, Uprooted by Naomi Novik. Another good choice. Thanks. Um, And then finally, this one is the hefty one. I have watched the miniseries and then read the beginning of it. I have not read all the way through this, so I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Mm. Clark. That one is is set in like Victorian or Regency times. It's not really a love story necessarily, but it's about these two magicians and the society that's like deciding about the type of magic that should be taught in society. And one of them is like really wily and the other one is really boring. Um, And the really boring one is like what society currently is doing with magic and then the wily one is trying to liven it up and everything. Um, the mini series is pretty good, and it has fairies in it. So that's kind of where I was going with that. I didn't realize there was a mini series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I've seen the book uh, floating around a lot, and I have a friend who really enjoys it. Um, it's a hefty book. Okay, it's Give it's huge. It's like mm. three or four inches thick. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Well, yep, yep. Nice. Good thing to keep you busy. <laughs> right. So those are my three suggestions. Uh Stardust, Uprooted, and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Really good choices. Thanks. I think we all had some pretty good recommendations. I think yeah. so. Well, you guys, before we close out, um, I just want to say if you are a fan of Pride and Prejudice, memes, feel free to follow Classic Jane Austen. I will add your Instagram handle to our episode notes. So if you are interested in hearing more from her, you have that opportunity. And with that, we heckin did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Classic Jane Austen, for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was so much fun. It's nice to be among fellow bookworms. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It was a great conversation. It was great. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. So if you loved what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family members. And if you're listening with Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. And if you aren't already, subscribe to our Patreon. We release extra content pretty much every week. And if you're in certain tiers, you even get merch. You can also choose to buy us a book, which is a one-time donation option available through PayPal, which can be found in our link tree on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. And if you have any book suggestions or questions, feel free to DM or email us at NovelFindsPodcast at gmail.com. Our email, Patreon, and Instagram handle can be found in our bio. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you all next week for another episode.